0: Welcome to You Wanted A Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast, Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring the song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play.
1: Let's go, episode. What episode we on? Nine.
0: Nine. We've done it, Woo! dude. We did nine episodes in four months. Damn, I like that. Yeah, man. I'm. Uh, I'm sipping a Sierra Nevada hazy little thing in my fancy WBEZ Public Radio Chicago glass i got from being a member it's one of those can glasses look at you yep supporting public radio and our lovely beer partner i'd love to dive in because i've got a story for you you've been you've been teasing this for uh, a whole week now really so excited to talk about this there's so much involved um and it's just a great story about really cool people those
1: are really my favorite stories so let's go
0: here is the song we will be discussing tonight.
1: Wait, I feel like I know
0: this. You definitely do.
1: Turn up a little bit. <laughs> do I not know this intro?
0: Uh, it's a five-minute song.
1: So There's probably radio edit there somewhere.
0: There is. Oh, this is going to be the longest one for us to figure out. I figured this would happen eventually.
1: Oh, my God, this sounds so familiar. Why am I getting this? It's embarrassing. My music cred going out the window.
0: <laughs> i feel feeling the vibe, though. It's a great song. I might not know the song, bro. <laughs> you do. You definitely do. But it'd be amazing if you don't. Chor- when the chorus hits, then the party starts.
1: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah it took me a good like, minute there I don't know that I've heard the song last I feel like I've just heard like pieces of the song and what a great song to choose this would not be one that I would ever think of so thank well done. you
0: I I've been thinking about this one for a while um just because I always thought this song was so absurd when I was a kid
1: for some reason maybe because I grew up in a household like my dad loved cars it's a first activities we ever did together was go to car shows and we would go to car washes uh because he'd always have his car really nice maybe i never second guessed this song (laughs) because it is weird but i was just kind of like yeah
0: of course (laughs) about a car wash yeah well why wouldn't there be a song about a car wash uh do you know who sings this song
1: it took me a a good 90 seconds to figure out what song it was i do not know who sang this song
0: (laughs) the song is by rose royce not rolls royce Rose Royce, R O S E, is that a real name or is that a player in words? It's a band. Okay, well, yeah, then, no, not a real name. It's a band, Rose Royce. They were formed in Los Angeles, California, in the early seventies. Mm-hmm. Soul and R and B music were exploding, and disco and funk were along the way very soon, thanks to labels like Motown and Stax. It's really interesting. There were several like small-time young R and B and soul backing bands in the LA area. And they were like kind of competing with each other, like super young, like kids in high school. There were these like killer backing bands that would, you know, take pickup gigs and stuff. Mm. Two friends who were members of separate bands from Inglewood and Watts respectively. And they're about to graduate high school and they found themselves at a crossroad where they thought, well, am I going to go to college? Am I going to work, uh, you know, regular nine to five job? Or am I gonna go for the music thing?
1: Heard this story before.
0: Right. So they decided they were gonna do the music thing. And these musicians were drummer Henry Garner and trumpet player and vocalist Kenny Copeland. Mm. They decided to join forces and form the group Total Concept Unlimited.
1: Okay. That sounds like a weird shell company that is like operating sweatshop trying to become like a name brand here. <laughs> They
0: they formed this band with this kind of absurd name, not to be confused with Public Image Limited, which was Johnny Rotten's industrial band in the 80s. (laughs) I did not know that either. I think it's still together. So two more friends, fellow trumpet player, Freddie Dunn, and sax player, Michael Moore, not to be confused with the documentarian, Michael Moore.
1: I would not have been confused with that. (laughs) That would have been
0: a wild story.
1: (laughs) It really would have been, but I cannot imagine documentary Michael Moore uh being in a seventies <laughs> funk band by any means for so many reasons.
0: They joined the band as well. And then they searched for a bassist, guitarist and keys player, and they had a band. We got a lot of members here. Oh we do, yes. They had a horn section, so that just adds a few members automatically. True. So after the band had some chemistry under their belts, they auditioned for Motown singer songwriter Edwin Starr. Mm. Do you know Edwin Starr?
1: I believe I probably know his music, but I do not know him by name. Not to be confused with Edwin McCain.
0: This is Edwin Starr. Oh, yeah.
1: See, why couldn't you give me a song like this? Jump right into the chorus. Everyone knows it from the first beat. Nah, you had to play with me. Give me some fucking
0: minute-long wind-up intro. Hey, it's a great intro. It really is. It, it really builds that. Once that chorus hits, it's just such a good feeling. It is. They auditioned for Edwin Starr, who was on Motown, got the gig. And Edwin Starr was later, after they were his backing band, and I think this is the band in war, uh, was backed by the Detroit virtuoso rock band Black Murda, who are like a part of all kinds of hit. total concept lim- unlimited. It's even a mouthful to say. Uh, let's call them TCU uh tcu toured with edwin all over england because edwin had become kind of a northern soul star in england so he was kind of part of that scene even though he was american they toured england with edwin came back to the states and edwin took them to detroit and they were hanging out and edwin introduced the band to his friend norman whitfield Yeah. Famed Motown producer and songwriter who had worked with Marvin Gaye, The Temptations, Gladys Knight, The Pointer Sisters. Big deal. Big deal of a guy. Mm -hmm. So uh, he's written tons of songs we know and love. He's also credited as one of the creators of the Motown sound and the late 60s subgenre of psychedelic soul. So very important music figure. Also, a little little uh, side note here. Norman took over Smokey Robinson's role as the main producer for the Temptations in 1966 because his song with them, which was Ain't Too Proud to Beg, performed better than Robinson's Get Ready on the pop charts. But they were like both huge hits. Love it, though. Love it. <laughs> but Motown was like, all right, Smokey Robinson, get the fuck out of here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> love, a, love a big time petty battle. It's good. Right? It's good.
0: Anyway, uh, Norman loved what TCU was doing. He thought they were super rad. Uh, and he also thought that their band name was a mouthful and no one could remember oh, it.
1: Yeah, he's right there.
0: So they changed it to Magic Wand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds like a dildo
1: company. Let's just call it what it is. It probably is a dildo company.
0: Let's uh, let be honest. Probably. For a minute, Magic Wand camped out in Motown Studio and they backed up many stars. They backed the temptations. They backed the Undisputed Truth. They backed Yvonne Fair. Um, so they were having a having a good run. They were also touring with a bunch of these acts. But it's time for Magic Wand to make their own music. So they began writing and producing their album with Norman. And Norman had just left Motown to move to LA to do his own thing. He started his own label. Mm. So the album's taking shape. But Norman and the band realized that nobody in the band was really equipped or up for the task of being the front person. And I mean, they're all incredible musicians, but they needed somebody to be the face of the band. So Norman and the band are trying to solve this issue, trying to figure out how they can find a singer. And meanwhile, back to the Motown band, the Undisputed Truth. Joe Harris from that band was on tour in Biloxi, Mississippi. And after a show, he was out on the town and ended up at a local bar They had some live music. So he stumbles in and he's just blown away by the house band. They're called the Jewels.
1: Better name than the last two names we've had so far.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Joe calls Norman and he's like, oh my God, I found this incredible singer. You have to hear her. Joe says, bring her to LA. I'll fly her out. That's when Norman meets Gwen Dickey.
1: Gwen Dickey. So Gwen Dickey a part of the Jewels. She's a part of the Jewels.
0: Yeah in Biloxi, Mississippi, just like a house band at a bar. Love that. That's fun. Uh, yeah. That bar is probably lit with this band playing.
1: <laughs> this is everyone's dream. Every young right? singer-songwriter who lives in somewhere other than <clears throat> L.A., New York, Chicago, they think, one day, a record producer will walk in here and make me famous.
0: Right. Exactly. I mean, it's straight out of a movie. But it's only happened once ever in this story. Only only this time. <laughs> only in the star- story of Car Wash. He flies her to L.A., And he was working on the Magic Wand album still. And he originally was intending on considering Gwen as a solo act. But when he saw her energy when she performed, he knew that he'd accidentally found the new front woman for Magic Wand. Love it. Gwen starts playing with the band. And turns out the name Gwen Dickey wasn't really doing it for a stage name. I kind of like it. I kind of like it, too. I don't know what it was they didn't like about it. But, Gwen Dickey and the Magic Wands? I mean, come on. Right? Herman started calling Gwen <laughs> Rose Norwalt. That's a lot better, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? It was kind of a joke, because uh, Norwalt was a combination of his name and Walter, his sound engineer. <laughs> okay. But it stuck. And Gwen was like, really? Rose Norwalt? And Norman told Gwen, <laughs> the next time you go home, you'll be so famous, they'll be running down the street calling your name. Okay. Nice prediction. There was an interview actually just a few weeks ago uh, in The Guardian about Car Wash with Gwen and some of the other members of the band. Oh, wow. And she said that when Norman said that, she thought he was out of his mind. Oh, well, yeah. Now that Gwen, aka Rose, was the face of the band, the group had yet another name change. This time to Rose Royce, a play on words based on the notorious luxury car. And they were thinking that Rose the singer is classy, but the band performs like a top of the line car.
1: Ooh, I like that. I like Which that. Which is actually pretty great. It is good. It's a lot better like than the last two names. <laughs> I like that. I think it's a good vibe so, to
0: it. Rose Royce. So now their singer has a bad stage name, but the band's got a great name. Yeah. So the new lineup, uh, with the new name, got back to work on their debut album. While they're in the studio in LA, Norman receives a call from MCA Records. MCA was searching for a band to soundtrack a new comedy film, and they thought Norman's taste would match the vibe they were going for. Mm. The film and title was Car Wash. There it is. There it is. And Norman knew just the band for the job.
1: This is a, uh, a soundtrack to a movie? Yeah. Oh man, that really—you haven't seen the movie? It, no, but it makes a ton of sense. It does. It totally fits. It's very much like a seventies, eighties movie song.
0: Before we go any further with our friends Rose Roy, Rose Royce—that's actually kind of hard to say—we got to talk about Car Wash, the movie. How do I know this? It's a really famous movie, but it did come out in nineteen seventy-six. I watched the trailer. Yeah, let's watch the trailer. Oh, it's a Belborn Blu-ray. It seems like a fun movie. It is a fun movie. I really—I I had seen parts of it. Uh, I think it was like on cable a kid but i watched the whole thing the other night it was really fun
1: the wet and wild world of a car wash
0: got some heavy hitters in here weird because the heavy hitters are all kind of in supporting roles richard pryor george yeah. carlin garrett morris who was on saturday night live he was in the first cast of snl oh. otis day is in it the pointer sisters are in it oh, wow. uh there's also a deleted scene featuring De devito that you can find in alternate oh, versions that. of the film oh yeah the point sisters <laughs> here they are the film was a huge deal in a lot of ways. On its face, it's a very silly movie. It's a slapstick comedy. You know, it's got a lot of puns, a lot of lowbrow humor. But it's got a lot of commentary and cultural significance that's that's far beyond that. Not quite Blazing Saddles, but it kind of sits in a similar place. I don't think it's considered a true example of the genre, but it evolved out of the black exploitation genre. Hmm. Um, which... We may have some listeners who are not familiar with that term, so I'll give a little primer here. Oh,
1: yeah. Walking down history lane once again. You always bring in the good history. I I appreciate that. I love some history. I appreciate that.
0: I thought that it was best to look to an expert on this, so I'm going to read some stuff from Todd Boyd, who's also known as the notorious PhD, so I guess Dr. Todd Boyd. He's the chair for study of race and popular culture at the University of Southern California's School of Cinematic Arts. I must also mention that he recently appeared on the ESPN documentary series The Last Dance, Go Bulls. Dr. Boyd says, if we rewind to the late 60s and early 70s, we find traditional Hollywood studios were struggling to connect. With Black militants, Vietnam, campus protests, and the counterculture dominating the conversation, In Richard Nixon's, quote, Law and Order America, watching the nightly news often seemed more compelling than paying attention to anything that might have been playing at the local movie theater. Hollywood, like nature abhors a vacuum so this is where black exploitation found its lane the emergence of films such as sweet sweetbacks badass song shaft superfly cleopatra jones the mac blackula and more were all released between 1971 and 1973 and they offer black audiences characters themes music and style that was now consistent with a cultural moment off screen the cool sexual powerful conscious irreverent nonchalant quick-witted demeanor of these new ultra hip films spoke to these audiences in a language that they both understood and enjoyed. Hmm. At the same time, these low budget productions produced high profit margins for the struggling studios. And for a time, urban audiences of color and studio suits were pleased with the results. However, of course, the haters would emerge to rain criticism, contempt, and suspicion. Upon the cinematic parade, making its way through the movie houses of Black America, the actual term blaxploitation emerged as Black critics of the film suggested that these intoxicating images were like a racial sugar high, getting Black audiences all hopped up on what The Last Poets referred to simply as party and bullshit. Q. Notorious B.I.G. Further, even though these films featured Black casts and revolved around themes that resonated with Black audiences, many of the creative personnel behind these films were overwhelmingly white. In time, the phrase black exploitation became one word, and before long, this was a commonly accepted way to describe a range of films from a variety of different genres that were being lumped together under a moniker that made blackness the central component.
1: Hmm. Damn, Doc. Okay. sums it up well.
0: Yeah. Right? I feel like I, there's no way I could have said that better. Our Wash is a little more like slapstick than those movies, but it has a lot of elements. And deals um, with a lot of the same social commentary. Michael Schultz is the director of Car Wash. And he had just made the coming-of-age drama Coolie High. I don't know if you've seen Coolie High, but it's a great movie. I feel like I have actually seen that. Uh, uh, and the screenplay for Car Wash was written by the one and only Joel Schumacher.
1: Wow, really?
0: Yeah, yep. Car Wash was written by the guy who directed Saint Elmo's Fire, The Lost Boys, Batman Forever, but he also directed The Wiz, which is another really important black piece of cinema. That's true, and he had just random. Man. I know, right? He had also just written the Motown influenced showbiz musical Sparkle. Hmm. So while the screenwriter was white, the director was black, uh, and the majority of the cast was black too. I, I really liked this bit in a New York Times article that was about Car Wash in 2019. Car Wash really is a quintessential 1970s film political exhaustion and economic recession are never far below its candy-colored surface. Though it was generally reviewed favorably, some critics saw Car Wash as a lowbrow imitation of American graffiti or Nashville, but Car Wash is more a critique of those movies. That which was freewheeling and expansive, whether teenage car culture in American graffiti or boomtown star making in Nashville, is here drastically downsized. Hmm, So it's got a lot of things going on. It's like Pulling things from exploitation films, but also some of these, like, coming-of-age movies uh, and, like, workplace films. It was the first movie by an African-American director shown in competition at con. Oh, wow. There would not be another one until Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing in 1989. Damn! That's wild. I don't know. I could probably watch that and see some elements of Car Wash in it. Sure.
1: 13 years, though. That's wild.
0: All right. Schultz serves as a template himself. He directed more feature-length Hollywood movies than any Black director before Spike Lee. Fuck yeah. And so, yeah, it had ties to the black exploitation genre uh, and Black comedy in general, but it was also a multicultural affair. The deluxe car wash crew includes Latinos, Native Americans, and a hapless white dude. <laughs> uh, but the perspective is still Black, mostly thanks to the direction of Schultz. Let's get back to the song.
1: That's right, that's why we're here.
0: Yeah, that's why we're here.
1: This is a a music podcast, goddammit. I thought I was in some fucking movie podcast all
0: of a sudden. The movie is fascinating. We're back in LA. Norman Whitfield has convinced MCA Records that brand new band, Rose Royce, is the right outfit for the Car Wash soundtrack. And now he had to convince the band. Mm -hmm. As Gwen Dickey, our fearless front woman, puts it, we were recording our first album when he said, I've got a deal for a comedy film called Car Wash about people working in a car wash. And you're going to do the music.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look, hindsight, great idea. But uh, I could see in the moment not being stoked.
0: band had been rehearsing in Norman's mansion in Beverly Hills. Okay. One day after a band rehearsal, Norman ordered a chicken dinner for everyone. And after they ate, the band went to go play basketball. So Norman stayed behind. And he's in the mansion finishing his food. And he just starts singing. And he has an idea. So he grabs the pencil. And he writes all of the lyrics to car wash on a greasy chicken box. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is amazing. Okay. A total like stoner moment. I don't know if he was stoned, but so he went outside and told Gwen that he needed her for a moment. So she leaves a basketball game. She comes inside and he teaches her the melody and the lyrics. And she said she couldn't stop giggling the whole time. <laughs> Again, it's a, it's a funny song. <laughs> it's a ridiculous song. Hindsight, it works, but at the time, Norman stops her and says, you won't be laughing when this is a big hit. And then she laughed even harder.
1: He's very <laughs> prophetic. He's, you know, he's yeah, putting these yeah. nuggets in her
0: head. And these aren't from Norman. These stories are all from everybody else. I, I like this. I don't know if we have a Cisco situation. I know. I'm like
1: Cisco, where all the stories kind of came from one source, so it's questionable.
0: Yeah. Band is learning and arranging the song. Norman keeps iterating that it's a song about a car wash. So he wants it to sound like a machine. So drummer Henry Garner Jr. Mm. came up with a st. hi-hat sound that goes through the whole song and Norman was psyched well luckily (laughs) disco is about to explode and that's the beat in every disco song
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say it doesn't feel revolutionary but I guess at the time it was ahead of the curve
0: yeah I mean there were already songs that sounded like that but um, the band wasn't from what I can tell trying to make a disco song but it turned into a disco song because they were more of like a soul, R&B, and funk band Timing was somewhat biblical in that way, but I love thinking of it as like a car wash machine, like the drums. It's kind of perfect. Yeah, Gwen said that a few days after Norman came up with all the lyrics and the melody of the song, they were in the studio recording car wash. So just a few days later. And she said, not many songs start with hand claps, but Norman didn't bother about conventions. He was meticulous about every pronunciation. So she said that he made her sing the line a movie star or an Indian chief for two hours. <laughs> because he said it sounded like she was singing Indian Sheep.
1: Okay, you got to get it down.
0: <laughs> and also, those hand claps are super famous. Like, I'm pretty sure those are the hand claps you hear at all the basketball games and stuff. The Does it start I'm you? I'm pretty sure. I looked it up. I searched all kinds of things. And I'm pretty sure it's from this song. Okay. I'll take your word for it. So, Norman was right about that, too. Henry also elaborated a little more on the band's hesitancy. He said, while recording in the studio, the band kept whispering to each other, this will never be a hit. We're literally singing about a car wash. Again, (laughs) in hindsight, yes, but I get it. And he said, but we never said anything to Norman about it. (laughs) (laughs) He said, and thank God we didn't. Garner also said that Norman absolutely drilled the band until every note was perfect just like Gwen was saying. And as Garner put it, he turned them from untrained horses into thoroughbreds. So this is when Rose Royce became Mm. Rose Royce. (laughs) Uh, The rest of the album was pieced together with parts of the debut album that they've been recording. So the debut album became the soundtrack to the movie. Essentially, all the songs are by them, uh, except one is uh, Richard Pryor.
1: Wow, well, now that, So wait, did MCA were like, fuck yeah, this song's amazing. What else do they have? Or how'd this all come about?
0: They were looking for a soundtrack that was just one band, because that was kind of popular in the I 70s. I guess so, yeah. Uh, oh, that's but, cool. Um, well, I guess people still do that now, like Kendrick Lamar, Black Panther, and... Um,
1: yeah, I feel like they do it now instead. because it was such a thing in the 70s and 80s. Well,
0: The album also featured uh, the Pointer Sisters, and uh, apparently Norman had them do Endless Takes as well. Yes, <laughs> the Pointer Sisters. He made them do the same thing that rose royce was doing and just do it over and over and over again he sounds like he was kind of a madman but he's a genius i
1: think uh, most producers are
0: yeah i think so uh total perfectionist
1: Mm, speaking of perfection you're drinking a perfect beer and i'm gonna get myself one too because i'm out of one for the sound of happiness
0: ah look to sierra nevada Nevada. Mm -mm -mm. because no other cans make that sound The song "Car Wash" is finished. The album "Car Wash" is finished, and MCA digs it. Now it's time to finish the movie. Mm-hmm. So remember Henry, our drummer friend. Yes. Well, he asked Norman what the plot of the film was, and Norman said, "It's what happens at an everyday car wash." That's the story. Can you imagine
1: going to a Hollywood boardroom and be like, "All right, guys, I got an idea: <laughs> everyday car wash."
0: <laughs> yeah, and
1: well, that's it. <laughs> That's what we got.
0: <laughs> That's it. And the movie is like that. There's really no plot <laughs> to the film. It's just a day. It's a day in the life kind of movie. It's kind of like Days and Confuse, actually. Actually, I would, okay. I would compare the movies. Hey, I it's love them. similar genre. Top movies. It's great because the album's done, but the band hasn't read the script, hadn't seen any of the film. They had no idea at all anything about it. They them. don't care. I love it. No, this is great. This
1: is a very backing band mentality where it's like, this is not like. For them, it's kind of like, let's we'll see if it works. And if it doesn't work, we'll just do something different. Do.
0: I respect it. Which is kind of great. We'll, just, uh, we'll go back to Back in the Temptations. Yeah. That's fine. I would imagine, I didn't read anything about this, but I would think that MCA, because think about it, Norman's starting his new record label, the band's on the label. It's all out of his own pocket. MCA is now paying for the album. So, great deal. So, let's just make the whole album about a car wash. Fuck oh, sure. It. Get the yeah. album done. Hashtag sponsored content.
1: Yeah, they're kicking in L.A., they're (laughs) in a mansion.
0: Yeah, they're playing basketball, recording, like, life is good. So after the music's done, the members of Rose Royce got to visit the film set. And they were especially excited to meet Richard Pryor, who was one of the biggest movie stars in the world, because he had just transitioned from stand-up comedy to the movies. He was about to be in Superman 3. I mean, come on. (laughs) It was huge. The film rap shooting was edited. The music was added. All's well in Car Wash World. However, Universal decides to put the movie on hold. After all that. And guess what? <sighs> White executives at the company were hesitant about how, quote, black the movie was, mm. and they didn't know how to market it.
1: Yeah, file that into the category of uh, phrases that didn't, uh, didn't go well.
0: Yeah. Uh, how about hire some black people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then someone, I don't know who, suggested that they leave the movie promo with the song itself, which was a novel idea at the time. Oh, interesting. Well, that's what they did. They sent the song to radio. They got the records in the stores. They pump up the music in the movie trailer. And then the song is a huge hit. Interesting. Which is definitely a risk because it's an unknown band singing about working at a fucking car wash and no one's seen the movie.
1: <laughs> this is wild. So, I mean, interesting... <laughs> take i'm sure mca put some real money behind it
0: oh yeah for sure Yeah, radio promotion and again it's right when disco is like blowing up the song's huge the movie's done and they premiere the movie and at the premiere the so- i think the song plays like five minutes into the movie it's like whenever they f- they really start showing the people working at the car wash it's basically lights camera and car wash i mean that the song like it's just like Boom, it's in the movie, it's front and center. And apparently, at the premiere, as soon as the song hit, people got up out of their seats and were dancing in the theater. Oh, I love that. But of course, the white film producers were really upset and they were like, sit down, <laughs> sit down and watch the film. But everyone was so distracted by this song that totally slaps. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so uh, we should watch the clip um, of when the song comes yeah. in in the movie just to get just to get an idea here they're doing it like it's
1: playing from the radio classic movie trope mm-hmm. great trope that dude's like my favorite character in the movie. great <laughs> a cigar. yeah total like working class hero very cool
0: oh there's a the hapless white dude yes He's, uh, he's, he's like a total that. commie And he, he wears that, He has Mao Zedong on his shirt And he keeps talking about communism I thought that through that one I was gonna ask yeah. yeah I mean look at this Like you don't need a music video This is so cool This is great
1: The, the intro really works With full setup here
0: Oh It's so good
1: also, a very 70s, 90s thing, 70s, 80s thing to have the full song. In the- oh yeah! You know, back in the 90s, you had like maybe the song would be like in the background a little bit here and there. You're like, oh yeah, that's the Bulwark song, but like this is front and center for the whole five minutes probably. Yep.
0: See, it really, it actually does really have like a Dazed and Confused vibe. It
1: definitely does, yeah.
0: So yeah, picture all the people in the theater up out of their seats dancing while this movie's on. Like, it's a great mental picture. I love it. But I
1: can also see all the fucking producers being like, I love this one scene, the lighting here is so good, it's cinematography. Oh my god, you guys aren't paying attention.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, Joel is probably, like, doing the hustle in the corner. The <laughs> Manpower and steam.
1: Yeah. We get the best hand job in town. Oh, I love it. This is totally my kind of movie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's great. It's really good. There's some, there's some, I was home alone watching it and I was laughing aloud just by myself. See, think about the, the symbols and then the, the car wash machine. I'm thoroughly enjoying this. So clearly, these movie producers just didn't get that the song is the movie. I mean, the movie's great, but the sure. song made the movie. Is there another example of that? Uh, Ghostbusters. I don't know if the song came out before the movie or what. Oh, That's a good question. If there's Uh, another... Weird Science, maybe? Uh, Yeah. Oh, Men in Black. That's what I was thinking. But still... There's no way that movie would have been that big without that song. (laughs) That's probably true. Yeah. That song was massive. And you don't need to see the movie because the song is just the plot of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that is the best example. Uh, But I think this song is different because it's like Men in Black is a very specific thing. Yeah. It's written. That that song is written because of the movie. And like, this was written because of the movie, but like Norman hadn't seen the movie or read the script. And he's just, he wrote a song about working at a car wash and the song is just about working at a car wash. The song's not about the movie. Right.
1: right. That's why I think it's very different.
0: Yeah, And that's why I think it's more of an unlikely hit. I mean, I mean, it, it helped kick off three decades of film studios using songs and soundtracks to lead promotion efforts for the films. I mean, I think that car wash is one of the very first that did this. And that was That's because wild. these white idiots didn't know how to market the movie. And some smart person was like, well, the song kicks ass. <laughs> so just leave with that. I mean, pretty easy. And then audiences of all demographics love the movie and the song. And back to my childhood, like there were so many movies, I feel like where the song was a hit and the movie tanked. <laughs>
1: the 90s were full of that. So it
0: wasn't always tried yeah. and true. Yeah. Um. So the movie's still a classic. It's aged brilliantly over time. It's a monumental part of pop culture cinema and it influenced countless workplace comedies after it, for better or worse. I don't know if we would have had office space if we didn't have car wash. Ooh, interesting. The same New York Times article that I was referencing talked about the song's context in the movie. It says, The contradictions between their labor and our leisure are manifest in the Irresistible title song, punctuated by the exhortation Work and Work and Work, the song by the soul group Rose Royce, explains that while the deluxe is no place to be if you plan on being a star, never mind that at least in the final credits, just about everyone gets to be one, it's better than digging a ditch. Well, what isn't? Heard over the radio, the tune sets the deluxe employees bopping while they work in a speeded-up version of the funky robot dance. Has a $3 an hour job ever been more? Shortly after the movie came out, uh, Norman's prediction came true as the band set out on tour, and at their first show in Miami... People were running after Rose Royce's tour bus, screaming Gwen's name, or her stage name, Rose Norwald. (laughs) Norman Whitfield won the Best Music Award at the Cannes Film Festival. And the album received the Grammy for Best Motion Picture Score Album of the Year. What did it beat out, do we know? Car Wash, Rich Man, Poor Man, Taxi Driver, Three Days of the Condor, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and The Omen and Car Wash beat all these movies. Well, (laughs) can't beat a hit. The Car Wash soundtrack ended up being a double album, and it was the band's debut. Car Wash was their debut single. It sold 2 million copies and was a number one success on both the Billboard and R&B charts and a top 10 in the United Kingdom. The The song held the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 for a week from January 23rd to January 29th, 1977. It had replaced I Wish by Stevie Wonder and then Torn Between Two Lovers by Mary McGregor then replaced Car Wash. Do I know that one? I don't know. It sounds familiar. Um, I'm going
1: to lose it real quick. Wait, Torn Between Two Lovers? Yeah, I say it's very different than Car Wash. <laughs> 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 um, I've never heard the song, actually. Uh, it's not very good. I can't imagine the bullshit that this replaced Car Wash. Right? The Car Wash deserved at least three weeks number one.
0: Hey, it hit number one, and not every song we talk about hits number one. fair. Well, the Car Wash soundtrack, uh, which is entirely recorded, again, by the band and Norman Whitfield, spawned two more successful singles by the band, I Want to Get Next to You, Hmm. and I'm Going Down. I'm Going Down.
1: There are so many sexual innuendos in this podcast.
0: Always. I'm Going Down was later covered in 1994 by Mary B.
1: Oh, cool. Um, cool.
0: Yeah, I want to get next to you reach number 10 in the Billboard Hot Women. So, I mean, this album slate. Good for them. It's also been sampled quite a bit. It's been sampled by Naughty by Nature and uh, Africa Lombada. Well, it was sampled well, twice well, in two well, different well, songs well, by favorite well, well. artist, of the podcast <laughs> Enigma
1: oh well of course that motherfucker loves stealing <laughs> shit so
0: why not I do want to send you this though actually let me just play it this
1: is fire I like this you know who it is is it Ben? no Oh, something bad. Oh, it's uh, I know this. I'm blanking. Give it to me. It's Christina Aguilera. Oh, I'm thinking that. Who's that? Is that Missy? Yeah, Missy. This is so '90s. Missy Elliott and Christina Aguilera. Love so that. So
0: 2004, and it was recorded for the Shark Tale soundtrack. Another Will Smith film.
1: Oh, sorry, sorry. I get the 90s and the early 2000s. My TRL blend together. (laughs) Wait, I've never seen the movie. Will Smith as a fish is uh, kind of mind-boggling.
0: And those of you uh, at home, uh, Missy is what I believe to be an animated sturgeon. And Christina Aguilera, I believe, is a lion's mane jellyfish. (laughs) Those are my best guesses after Google imaging. Uh, I was searching for these animals, trying to figure out which ones they were. I'm glad you, you did the research here on uh, marine biology. Hey, we do our research on this podcast.
1: <clears throat> I gotta say this, uh, the CGI does not uh, hold up.
0: It's real bad. It's bad. It's really bad. Spent all their money on Will Smith, Missy Elliott, Justin Aguilera. There is also a cover of this song that is another CG animated version. Uh, I couldn't find the video, but you can find the audio. Uh, It's from the VeggieTales album Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber Sing the 70s. Well, this is kind of a kid's corner. because It kind of is a kid's... I think we have a kid's corner. It's not kids Bob, but it is
1: Christian Veggie Bob. So, it (laughs) kind of counts.
0: The VeggieTales version of this song. You you couldn't find the animation? No. Maybe they never animated it. It was just on the album. uh, Here you
1: go. Uh Enjoy. To me, is, I, I want to see a fucking, like, zucchini singing this. All right. Wait, pause real quick. Sorry. Uh, the, that whole clap beat, you're right. Like, that is probably what Enigma copied multiple times. Like, it's not the car wash part. It's like, this beat
0: is, it could work for so many things. I didn't listen to the song, but I'm sure that's what Afko Mbada is. Yeah. It's iconic.
1: It really is. There, the cucumber kind of looks like uh, Dave. <laughs> little Dick, little dicky <laughs> doesn't it
0: yes yes man I love that show y- you're feeling the VeggieTales version <laughs> kind of
1: am I mean what's not the feel you know
0: um, there's another notable cover uh, by Grammy award winning jazz bassist Christian McBride it's on one of his live albums hmm. uh, check it out later it's it's cool it's like just like a va- like a really jazzy version of Cartridge. okay cool. I'm into that What happened with Rose Royce after this song? They really wanted to offset any negative publicity regarding their legitimacy. Like, we're a real band. We're not just a car. I could see that being an issue. So their follow-up album was called Rose Royce 2 in full bloom.
1: Sure. And bloom
0: it did. The group returned to the top 10 Hmm. with two songs, Do Your Dance and Ooh Boy, Hmm. which the band says silenced all critics. Uh, In 1978, they released their third album, rose royce three strikes again which featured two more singles that reached the billboard r&b top five uh they then had a few songs that like roamed you know they got on the charts but they weren't they weren't as big as their previous songs but they remained huge in england and they remained a marquee attraction there i think their connection to northern soul and edwin Starr uh helped with that gwen aka rose left the band in 1980 for a solo career. She actually moved to the UK where she remains a popular performer. Damn. In 1993, she released her debut solo album, Time to Change, which spawned the single Don't Stop. Uh, In 1994, uh, she released a Shaka Khan cover that got some traction. In 1998, she did a duet. With Jay-Z, no. which was a cover of Rose Royce's hit, Wishing on a Star. Hmm. It, that peaked at number 13 on the UK singles chart. So I think Jay-Z even rode the wave of them being popular yeah, in the I love UK that. Why and not? had a UK hit. Um, she also did a song with Lil Romeo. Damn. She did some guest vocals on a song. That's a throwback. Uh, she also ended up doing theater and musicals in England and was in major productions that toured throughout the UK. And she was a frequent European tour mate supporting James Brown in the years leading up to his passing. Wow! Something pretty remarkable about Gwen. In 2010, she suffered a spinal cord injury in her London home, leaving her reliant on a wheelchair. And she still performs concerts to this day in her wheelchair. Dang, which is awesome. I love that. Which is very cool.
1: She was doing the Dave
0: Grohl before Dave Grohl even broke his leg. Right? Obviously... Awful that that what happened to her, but I love how she persevered. So that's the story of Car Wash. I love it. Right? It was great.
1: That was a really fun story.
0: Yeah. I thought so too. I feel like we
1: all we learned a lot, Mm thrown back in the seventies culture. I'm excited now to watch the movie Car Wash.
0: Yeah. I can't wait till you text me and you're like, I just lit up a J watching Car Wash.
1: More of an edibles guy when it comes to the uh the (laughs) weed,
0: but uh but yeah. I'm gonna watch it. We're sitting down watching Car Wash. I invited 12 of my buddies over to watch car wash they're <laughs> <laughs> to plant a seed in their yes. head. that's a wrap on this episode of you wanted a hit thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed it good luck getting car wash out of your head please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out and if you listen on apple write a review but only if it's nice follow us on twitter at ywahpod and let us know what you think or tell us what we missed by sending us an email at ywahpod at gmail.com lastly Share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. Our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.